Are you interested in free theological training? Our flagship sponsor, Midwestern Seminary, offers free theological training through their For the Church Institute. This semester, they launched three new classes, New Testament 1 and New Testament 2 with Dr. Patrick Schreiner and Missional Leadership with Dr. Charles Smith. Both have been guests of the show. These classes, along with others they offer, The Story of Everything with Jared Wilson, The Trinity with Dr. Matthew Barrett, and more are all free and accessible to you, your community group, or your church to complete at your own pace. You can learn more and sign up to begin at mbts.edu slash knowingfaith. Again, that's mbts.edu slash knowingfaith for some free theological training from Midwestern Seminary. Go check it out. You're listening to Knowing Faith, a podcast of Training the Church. This is Kyle Worley, and I'm joined by my co-host, Jen Wilkin and JT English. Good morning. Good afternoon. Good night. How's it <laughs> going, y'all? Good night. Uh, uh, JT, how are you doing? Let's just, just me and you. Let's just talk, you and I. There's nobody else oh, here man, right now. I'll just sit here. I, I appreciate I'll just sit here. Hey, Jen. But you don't want to know how I'm doing? You can sit here and listen. You'd be an active yeah, I'll listener. Listen. I'll listen. Uh, I don't have anything going on, man. I'm doing good. You know, it's... Yeah. Uh, beautiful day in Colorado. We started our institute last night. Uh, oh, so our third go. year of the institute at Storyline, which is super fun. I'm going to be real vulnerable and honest here with this group. I love doing the institute training program, whatever, Forge, whatever we call it at different churches. This will be my eighth year teaching it. And every year in February, I'm like, I'm never doing this uh-huh. again. I'm oh, never, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm never like, this is hard. I'm tired. I've got a sermon to write, but Every May, when I when we get the feedback, I'm like, this is worth doing. And then over the summer, just the anticipation builds. And man, I think last night might have been one of uh, I've I never I've never had more fun in that space than I did last night. I don't know why it was just maybe some space. We just did the you know Christian story, belief, and formation. We've got about a hundred students that are doing it. And like, you just see those light bulbs go off. And so I, I feel like I'm kind of having a Thursday as a pastor thinking, man, this is going to help. Not that the culture of our church needs to be changed, doesn't. I love the culture of our church, but it's just such a, a healthy rhythm for our church. And mm-hmm. to see, like we kind of did last night, I don't think we did this at TV, maybe I did it at TVC, but it was like, hey, raise your hand on where you serve. And it was everything mm-hmm. from parking team, coffee team, hospitality team, kids, students. Cool. We have a couple elder candidates in there. And you just think, man, what if, what if they're able to take this into their spaces. So mm-hmm. last night was a was a fun night. And Jen, we're using our book in the curriculum this year. It's kind oh. of a guide for people. So, you know, we have them read like Calvin and Bob Inc. and Edwards. So I was like, let's also give the, the the newbies, maybe people who haven't done theological education before, just something to ground them a little bit. And they all were trying to parse who wrote what parts. Uh, like weren't you like, a little this, nervous? This, they were going to go, this isn't very good. Who wrote this? This, this is horrible. <laughs> I was like, Jen, Jen did. She's, she's, That's she Jen's part, yeah. And, <laughs> uh. <laughs> decline. Yeah. So it was fun. I'm, 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 I'm in a good mood, have, having fun doing theology in the life of our church. So... Yeah, kid, our kids aren't in school yet. They start as a recording. Uh, so yeah, I know it's a little crazy. They go to a, a school where they start on Monday. Okay. So we have. I'm kind of like in that parent mode right now of like, mm-hmm. I'm so grateful that you're home still mm-hmm. and go to yeah. school. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, you know, kind of the the both end. So tomorrow okay. we're gonna go play uh, a little golf with them. We're gonna take them to the driving oh, range. Nice. Okay, I love it, yeah. man. Well. You're taking time to the driving range, but we're taking our listeners today to Uh-oh. a different destination. Uh-oh. Kyle. 
We have been making the journey with Israel in the Exodus event. And as you have heard us say many times, we're using um, the storyline of Exodus to explore themes that we find throughout the story of Exodus and to consider how do they ripple both before and beyond the book of Exodus itself. And so this is biblical theology. Now, biblical theology is far broader than what we're doing as an academic discipline, but when you begin to try to make connections across the story of the Bible, you are now engaging in biblical theology. Sometimes that's chronological, sometimes it's typological, sometimes it's thematic. There's a, There are a lot of different strains of biblical theology, but that's what we're doing. We're not going line by line like we have through other books of the Bible that we've explored, like Romans, for example. Um, we're just tracing themes. And today we turn our attention to the crossing of the Red Sea. So I'm going to read Exodus 14, 26 through 31, uh, and then we're going to jump in and uh, JT, Jen, and I are going to explore it together. Exodus 14, beginning in verse 26. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots and upon their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and the sea returned to its normal course when the morning appeared. And as the Egyptians fled into it, the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen of all the host of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea. Not one of them remained. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians, so the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. Okay. So before we got to the crossing of the Red Sea, JT, well, you gave us a rundown of what your week has looked like. Jen, give us a rundown of the story so far uh, in Exodus itself. How did they get to the Red Sea? Well, they were enslaved in Egypt for about 400 years, and then Moses and Aaron are sent to liberate them by the mighty hand of God and through the course of 10 plagues, the last of which probably the one most people are most familiar with, the Passover, um, the death of the firstborn. Israel is liberated from slavery, and they leave in the middle of the night with the spoils of Egypt on their backs, and um, they're led out into the wilderness. And actually, where we find them at the Red Sea is exactly where God led them to, which is a completely indefensible place. Mm. Um, they're backed into a corner geographically, and um, they are trapped by... Uh, the Red Sea from any possibility of flight when the armies of Egypt come upon them because about 30 seconds after they're gone, um, Pharaoh turns back into the same guy he's always been and says, wait a minute, I need those people back. Yeah. And so um, they're pursued out into the wilderness where God then um, miraculously delivers them from the hand of their enemy. That's right. Man, wow. It's like you've taught through this book before, Jen. <laughs> uh, no, I just went to VBS as a kid. <laughs> well, that'll do it too. Uh, so uh, what I want us to explore today are a few things. One, water. Mm -hmm. I want to explore water. Now, that may seem, if you're a listener to this, you might be thinking, what do you mean water? But water factors in heavily to the story of the Bible, and it factors in heavily to Genesis and, Ex Genesis and Exodus. And so I want us to explore water. I also want us to explore judgment and divine judgment against uh, uh, the false kings and the serpent kings specifically. So let me just start here. What have we already discovered about water in the story of the Pentateuch? I mean, 
Can anybody remember a big event that involved water in the story <laughs> so far? Listener, can you remember? Is there a big water? Is there a big water thing in Genesis somewhere? I'm trying to remember. Somebody help me here. Okay, so there's a big water thing in Genesis 1, to be fair. I'm not sure if that's yep, where you mm-hmm. thought I was going to take us first. Okay, um, no, but, but when, go for it. Yeah, in the opening scenes of uh, of the Bible, we see that the Spirit is hovering over the waters. And um, water, do you want me to start talking about what things represent, Kyle? Absolutely. So the way that we're going to see water be used throughout the Bible, there's a few ways. When when it's a large body of water, when it's the sea, um, we think of that as representing chaos or disorder. Um, but then water can also represent cleansing and birth. Those are two mm-hmm. other predominant metaphors that we see. And so in Genesis 1, the Spirit hovers over the water because God is about to bring order out of chaos. And so then, not surprisingly, when we get a little further along, or maybe it is surprisingly, we get a little further along in the story of Genesis, and we find a story where there's a whole lot of water. Does anybody else want to talk about that story? JT, can you remember a story where there's a whole lot of water? We're talking like super soaker levels It feels of like water. you're pretty passionate about this story. I think you should tell us about it, Kyle. I'll tell you about it. So there was this time when things got real bad. Okay. Yeah. Like you just thought things yeah. were bad, but then like mm-hmm. it got, they got way even, worse. It got way worse. <laughs> uh, it, it says that every thought and intention of the human heart was evil. That's mm-hmm. bad. Okay. Mm-hmm. So things got real bad, but there was a righteous man among all of the, uh, the unrighteous and the wicked who listened to the call of God upon his life to build a big boat because God said he was going to flood and judge the world. And that's exactly what he did. And so mm-hmm. obviously we're talking about the story of Noah with the flood. Um, now, I- I'll tell you, one of the things that's come up recently, even in, in pastoral ministry, is I've gotten much, uh, I've gotten a lot of questions recently about the flood as it pertains to divine judgment. And I think the flood really? story is actually pretty crucial for understanding mm-hmm. uh, what's happening at the Red Sea because, again, it's not a worldwide flood. God promises after the end of uh, uh, at the end of the flood narrative with Noah, He's never going to flood the world again. Mm-hmm. But the Red Sea is a bit of the flood narrative in microcosm. Like, yeah. it is God's divine judgment against evil and mm-hmm. wickedness mm-hmm. Uh, in the face did, of did rescuing Did you just say you don't think it's a worldwide flood? He, he, meant, no, no, no. The, he meant the Red Sea. You're so bad, JT. The Red bad, Sea. Not, I'm not okay. saying. Okay. I, I wasn't trying. I was like, wow, Kyle, just, just no, they no, took no. a stance. Just put it right out there. Yeah. yeah I wasn't know. trying to. I was trying you to heard it. you. I was just genuinely. Okay. You, you, you heard it you here first. I, I think the world was created in uh, 17 days, not seven. Pretty controversial opinion. And there was no worldwide <laughs> flood. No, I'm kidding. On both fronts. Um, but uh, yeah, so I think the flood narrative is pretty crucial, but I think the Genesis part uh, is as well. But I think the big picture is in the, in the ancient cosmology and mm-hmm. in, in the worldview mm-hmm. of Israelites, Hebrews, all those people living in Canaan. Do you, like just listener, I need you to hear this chaotic waters. Mm-hmm. That is like, oh my goodness, what are we going to do? Nothing is more unpredictable, chaotic and dangerous than chaotic waters. So mm-hmm. like this idea that God is using water to judge has a twofold purpose. One, it's demonstrating Yahweh's superiority over water. 
Okay. Now this has already happened in the plagues, right? Over the, the natural the, order, right? Over, over the, the natural order. Yep. Yes. Um, the Nile specifically has been Yahweh demonstrating, hey, you know that big source of water you have? Uh, what if I turned it to blood? And not just the water in the Nile, but all the water you've collected from the Nile in the pots in your house. What if it all turned to blood? Mm-hmm. Okay, I can do that because I'm God over the created order. So it's demonstrating God's power over the, the created order. It's also demonstrating that God rightly judges what is right and wrong, wicked and righteous. Mm -hmm. It's doing both of those things. And in that sense, it is a continuation of what we see with water in Genesis. Mm -hmm. So just to make sure we're following the pattern here, in Genesis chapter one, the spirit hovers over the waters and then then we see God divide the waters from the waters. And so that's what we then will see in the, the Noah flood narrative is that God is going to essentially divide the waters and bring Noah safely to the other side. Um, so then you pull forward from there and the next place that we see the theme is going to be in the, the little, the, there's even a microcosm retelling before we get to the microcosm retelling at the Red Sea. And that is when the waters are parted, the waters of death, they're parted for Moses as a baby that he's brought to life on the other side. Mm Mm-hmm. That's right. So those are some of the ripples before the Red Sea. We've talked about uh, how these themes kind of reverberate through Scripture. Mm-hmm. Uh, JT, beyond the Red Sea event, where else do we find this connection between water and judgment in the story of the Bible? Yes, I think I think judgment uh, is one of the main themes. And But also what God does in the waters is he judges his enemies, but he also births the new people. Jen mm-hmm. highlighted that theme. And so mm-hmm. now this new people that's been born through the waters of the Red Sea, they're no longer slaves in Egypt. They're now sons and daughters mm-hmm. of a holy and royal priesthood that is going to inherit the promised land. And before they inherit the promised land and the crossing of the Jordan, which is another big water scene, mm-hmm. is we see this provision of God for God's people in the wilderness when the rock is hit. Mm -hmm. And the water comes forward for them Mm -hmm. so they might have provision because they are the people of God. And uh, you guys are going to hate this, but I like to call that a rock off a, a rock offani because that's Christ. It's Christ. Oh, in the, he's the rock. It's no. Paul. Get it? It's not a. He it's not a Christophany. Stop. It's a. It's a, it's a rockophany. Uh, you guys can save that one for later. But he provides uh, water for his people because they are his his family, his sons and daughters. Mm-hmm. And then there's a scene in Jordan, of course, where mm-hmm. uh, where they cross the Jordan River, which is really this inheritance. Uh, for them to be the people of God. They're now inheriting the land that was given to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and the story of Genesis. And they truly are now this new people. They've been born, not that that they weren't the people of God beforehand, but they've received this new identity as the people of God that are called to to establish the kingdom of God here uh, on on earth. And one of the things that that then happens is uh, when you read like the prophets, wisdom literature, Kyle's already mentioned this, Water is a place of chaos. These the, yep. the Israelites are not Phoenicians. They are not water people. Mm-hmm. They're people who are who stay on the land. So this continually becomes an an idea for that that kind of permeates all of the story of the Bible. That the water is the place where you go for judgment. And so yep. this is also a really important thing when we start beginning beginning to think. And this is where you're going, Kyle. Is helping us think about baptism. Is right. when we go to the waters of baptism, or even when you think about Jewish purification rituals. Kyle and I just a few months ago got to be. Uh, Qumran, where the Dead Sea Scrolls were discovered, and the, the Israelites, especially the um, very uh, like pure people who are kind of pr- pursuing religious purity, would 
practice ritual bathing all the time to cleanse themselves mm -hmm. to allow so that judgment wouldn't fall upon them it falls on their enemies in the water and they emerge cleansed that's something that peter is in, in john the baptist and jesus are kind of pulling on uh that's when right. they start talking to us about baptism and you think about uh we got to stand whether it's the pool of siloam or the pool of bethesda there's there is water all over the gospels and i think that then highlights why Peter in Acts chapter two, there's, I think they said 39 pools right outside the yeah. temple for ritualistic cleansing. Mm -hmm. And so if God's people wanted to go into God's presence in the temple, they had to be cleansed ritualistically in these pools before they could enter into the temple. And then Peter in Acts chapter two really reverses that and says, if you want to get saved, you need to repent, believe and get baptized so that you can enjoy the spirit of God in you, not in the temple. And so why, and, and then I would also highlight you could talk about Romans chapter six and Paul talking about water is the place we go to die. You have been yeah. buried with Christ in baptism so that you can be raised to walk in newness of life. Mm -hmm. And then Jen working on her revelation study. I'd love to hear some insights that Jen has thinking about water. I mean, water is all over the place in the book of Revelation. So Jen, finish the story for us. Man. Okay. So I think that um, one of the references that can often, well, before, before we look at that, I do want to just point to the serpent king theme, because it's going to be important mm. for the way that we understand water in the book of Revelation. Um, so we're in we're we're in the book of Exodus. That's our jumping off point for for this season on knowing faith. And um, the serpent king uh, metaphor, which we've talked about in an earlier episode, um, relates to this this question of water, because listen to the way that Pharaoh is described um, in these other Old Testament passages. Ezekiel 29, 3 says, speak and say, thus says the Lord God, behold, I am against you, Pharaoh, king of Egypt, the great dragon that lies in the midst of his streams that says, my Nile is my own. I made it for myself. Um, here's another one. Uh, this is Ezekiel 32, 2. Son of man, raise a lamentation over Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and say to him, you consider yourself a lion of the nations, but you are like a dragon in the seas. You burst forth in your rivers, trouble the waters with your feet, and foul the rivers. Um, here's one more. This is in the Psalms. It says, you divided the sea by your might. You broke the heads of the sea monsters on the waters. You crushed mm -hmm. the heads of Leviathan. You gave him his food for the creatures of the wilderness. And so generally, I'm not going to read through some of the rest of these, but Leviathan in the Old Testament is a, is a picture of Pharaoh. And so Pharaoh mm -hmm. is regarded as not just the great serpent king, but as the, the serpent of the sea. So he's an, and thereby signifying that he is an he's an agent of of chaos. Um, he is someone who um, who wreaks chaos everywhere that he goes, particularly on the children of God. Right? Okay. Yep. So are we ready? Are we ready for Revelation? Let's go. Always. So we get to Revelation and most people are like, oh, right. Well, then we should talk about Revelation 12 because that's where the dragon shows up mm. and he's pouring water out of his mouth. But before we get there, we have to pay attention to what we find back in Revelation chapter four and five. And in Revelation chapter four, we're given a vision of the heavenly throne room. And at the feet of the throne, there is a sea that has the appearance of glass, right? And so we think about the sea of glass. It's it's not a sea that has the appearance of sharp edges. It's it's calm. It is a calm sea, and the and the feet of of God are, are on this sea, and so in other words, he's. He has, he, has, he has maintained complete order in this place. But there's another significant thing in that image that people don't always pick up on. And that is, do you remember what is behind his head as he's seated on the throne? It's a rainbow. 
Oh, I don't think I knew that. The rainbow. Why is there a rainbow in Revelation? Well, Revelation is chock full of Genesis and Exodus symbols, but Mm. the rainbow should Mm. make us think about the Noahic covenant. Why? Mm -hmm. Because the entire story of Revelation is that God is about to pour forth a flood of his judgment, but he Mm -hmm. will preserve the righteous line. Mm Mm-hmm. And so that's that opening scene. It sets us up to yeah. know, okay, judgment, this is going to be a this is going to be a vision about judgment, but we can know that God's promise that he will not destroy, you know, that he will preserve um, the righteous line. Not only that, but it says that he will never destroy the earth again in flood and and interestingly those four living creatures, they have the face of the uh lion, the ox, the man and the what's the one I'm missing? I'm biblically illiterate with revelation. Sorry, lion, ox, Man and eagle. Eagle is the one that I was missing. Um, if you think about it, a lion is an undomesticated animal. An ox is a domesticated animal, and then a man and an eagle. Those are the those are the four categories of creatures that would have been kept safe on the ark. Hmm. So we're getting all of these ark references here in Revelation chapter four, and that number four meaning all of creation. That's a symbolic number for all of creation. So fascinatingly, Revelation opens with flood imagery. And the hmm. idea of God as being sovereign over the waters. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. So that's fascinating. Yeah. Is there any connection with the absence of the sea by the end of Revelation? Absolutely. The new, the new earth. Because yeah. by the time we get to the end of Revelation, mm-hmm. we're now told, like, hey, the sea is no more, which kind of yeah. sounds right. like if you're a beach person, like, hey, why is it? Kind of there a bummer, right? Mm-hmm. Kind of a bummer, right? Mm-hmm. What's going on there? Well, and before that, what's happened? The, the great dragon has been thrown down. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so the, mm-hmm. the sea serpent has been dispatched yeah. of, and so the sea is no more. And yeah, those are those are uh, symbolic to show us that in the new heavens and the new earth, there will be it will be a complete uh, ordered space. Yeah, no, huh. nothing, nothing chaotic, nothing formless and void, nothing wicked, mm-hmm. nothing dangerous. Yeah. The CSB Life Council Bible provides biblical counsel and practical wisdom for pastors, ministry leaders, counselors, parents, couples, and any individual seeking practical wisdom through the application of God's Word. It includes more than 150 full-length articles on a wide range of topics and tough issues from respected Christian counselors and scholars. Visit csblifecouncilbible.com to get your copy today. Visit csblifecouncilbible.com to get your your copy today. Do you ever get stuck wondering how to study a Bible passage? The Courage for Life Study Bibles for Women and the Courage for Life Study Bibles for Men have over 1,400 Bible studies. That's a Bible study on every page of Bible text. Access to the Filament Bible app lets you dive even deeper. If you download the app and you scan the page number, you can open up a world of resources, including over 25,000 additional study notes, hundreds of videos, and a full audio Bible. Start discovering at courageforlifebible.com. That's courageforlifebible.com for incredible study notes and an incredible study Bible. One of my, I've not 
I'm not sure if this is a connection. Maybe we need to make it here. One of my favorite verses that I talked about at the beginning of deep discipleship and just a vision of depth for God's people and kind of the depth of water is mm-hmm. Habakkuk 2.14, where the prophet says that one day the glory of the presence of God and the knowledge of God is going to cover the earth the way water covers the sea. Mm-hmm. There's got to be a connect, some kind of a connection there that mm-hmm. it, he's it, the same way that water covers the sea. We now have no need of a sea anymore mm-hmm. because and the, the, you could always connect water with the presence of God to the judgment of God and the presence of God, because he's going to be the one who is fully and completely present with his people once and for all. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. I mean, I think one of the things that's, that's certainly happening here in, gosh, even as we're talking about this, I keep thinking of more stories mm-hmm. that connect with this mm-hmm. theme. Like, uh, I think about Psalm you're 29. You're still thinking about the rockophony, aren't you? The, mm-hmm. No, your rock, your rockophony comment was a cacophony <laughs> to me. Okay. For the, oh, okay. Uh, for the, for the uh, linguist among us, but okay. So the, uh, I would think of the story of Jonah, obviously mm-hmm. water factors in there is a story of oh, judgment. Yeah, that's the passage through the waters of death for sure. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't think it's coincidental that when Jesus says about uh, the, the wicked and sinful generation that asks for a sign, the only sign that it will be given to you is the sign of Jonah. He invokes a story that deals with mm-hmm. water, judgment and deliverance. Mm-hmm. The other one that comes to my Psalm 29, the Psalms are full of this, but like I was thinking yeah. the Lord sits enthroned over the flood, over the flood. That's that's right. Yeah. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. I think about in Jesus's ministry, his baptism is a, is a symbol of the uh, the parting of the waters of judgment for the purposes of deliverance. Uh, his walking on the water is a picture of uh, mm-hmm. Jen. Jen has a comment here. She's raised her hand. That rarely <laughs> oh, that happens. Was a how, I was given a hallelujah. Okay. Perfect. Yeah. That's exactly where I was hoping you would, would take us next. Because if you think about it, it's not just Jesus that walks on the water, right? What is Peter? Peter's like, I'm going to do that. You know, Jesus says, yep. come, to, come to me on the waters. And so so Peter steps into the waters and what happens? He begins to sink and then he's raised up to newness of life, right? Yeah, that's right. And mm. what we're going to see in Revelation uh, later on, we see the sea of glass that the feet of God are resting on in a later scene. And this time it's the saints, the victorious saints who have overcome through the tribulation. And they're standing on the sea and the sea has the appearance of glass and fire. In other words, they've gone through trial by fire, but they've been raised to stand on the sea uh, in much yep. the same way. And so I think we've missed too, like, listen, uh, this is one of my favorite references that relates to those stories. Um, where um, our Old Testament memories are not sufficient to carry us into the New Testament the way that they should. Listen to the words Mm. of Job. This is Job 9, um, and it's speaking of God. And it says, "He, He is wise in heart and mighty in strength. Who has hardened himself against him and succeeded? He who removes mountains and they know it not when he overturns them in his anger, who shakes the earth out of its place and its pillars tremble, who commands the sun and it does not rise, who seals up the stars, who alone stretched out the heavens, and trampled the waves of the sea. And so, you know, when we see Jesus walking on water, it means more than, it it certainly means Jesus walked on water. But it means much more. Than but it's not that like a well. cool party trick. It's like it's like no. a commentary about all of biblical theology about the yeah. God who hovers over the waters. Mm-hmm. That's right, and mm-hmm. I, and I think it's depicting a restoration of Adamic rule and reign. Absolutely. The, remember the remember tram- when we had this podcast oh with my Russ gosh, Moore we all just, on, on, yeah, we just, on oh, image yeah. bearing. Man. But the more I the more for, yeah. the more I've thought about the more that I think he's right, and um, I've encountered this elsewhere. 
and I think it's an interesting line of thought, but trampling along the seas is seen as a judgment over chaos, over the formlessness and void. I think too, even Peter's walk, Jesus is walking on the water, Peter's walking on the water, the eventual standing on the sea of glass, uh, mm-hmm. uh, a mm-hmm. fire is a depiction of the fulfillment of the messianic promise of Genesis 3.15. Mm-hmm. Uh, the sea is the place where the Leviathan lives or where the beast arises and mm-hmm. to trample upon it mm. is a signifier of the trampling down, not just of the chaoticness of water, but of mm-hmm. the unruly rebellion of, of the wicked tyrant Satan and all its forces. Wow. Mm-hmm. So and when, when, when Israel goes through the parted waters, I think we see it as wow you know look they, they went through the waters of death and the waters cave in mm-hmm. but i think what is principle there is that god is depicting to israel and I, i'm prepared to say i think it's this is the first picture that we get of the warrior king motif i don't know mm-hmm. that it's as clear anywhere else so far in the story as it is here in Genesis, uh, or excuse me, in Exodus 14, before the crossing of the Red Sea, the great assurance to Israel uh, that Moses gives to them is the Lord will fight for you. You have only to be silent. Mm-hmm. Next episode, we're going to cover the song of Moses. And this song is uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable mm-hmm. to modern ears because it is really like the imprecatory Psalms that we'll find, we'll discuss in the next episode. And uh, I think in some ways, like the Song of Mary and the Magnificat, it's it, it's uncomfortable to us because it is rejoicing mm-hmm. in God's victory over wickedness, a victory that does involve uh, righteous judgment and warfare mm-hmm. against unrighteousness, evil, and wickedness. Mm-hmm. And I do think that this theme of uh, the warrior king Obviously, I want to put a big caveat here. A lot of the Warrior King stuff gets pirated by uh, people that want to talk about manhood. And if that's a background you come from, I just want to tell you, it's okay to think that's silly because it often is. Um, But what I'm saying is that there's no doubt that a principal part of what's happening at the Red Sea is God is now demonstrating, I am not just Lord over uh, over creation. I am a mighty sovereign king over the rulers of this age. And I don't think it's been clear anywhere else in the story so far of his judgment in this kind of way. Like this is Mm -hmm. the greatest military power in the ancient world at this time. This is the greatest empire being crushed under the waves of the Red Sea as they pursue slaves they have let go. Mm-hmm. It is, an, it is. if there was an ancient smackdown, this is it. There's nothing more, there is, in the ancient mind, there is nothing, I think, as a greater demonstration of sovereign power than a cosmic ruler who uses the most unwieldy force in the world, which is water, to crush the greatest empire of its time. That is a ginormous statement. Mm -hmm. I I do want to move us to, to talking about baptism with maybe a little bit more specificity. Uh, in First Corinthians ten, we actually where this this connection with baptism isn't uh, isn't even just kind of an implicit connection. Paul commenting says this: For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and they all ate the same spiritual food and they all drank the same spiritual drink for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them and the rock was Christ. That's JT's rockophony right there. Let's go. <laughs> now, <laughs> Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Paul.
Paul makes the connection here, and he, he is connecting baptism as a motif and a concept, the theme, and as a practice, as a sacrament, with what happens in the crossing of the Red Sea. So how does Israel's exodus, just for the listener who may have heard the connection we're making here with baptism, but they're going, I don't, I'm not quite sure what you're saying. JT, how does Israel's exodus through the Red Sea, Red Sea, Red Sea foreshadow baptism. We are. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think there's a few things. I think one one thing that we need to be reminded of, whether it's at the Red Sea or in baptism, is who is present and who is acting. One of the first things we need to be reminded of is, is God is present. He's present at the Red Sea with his servant Moses, and he's present in baptism, again, hovering over the waters. He's he. This is not just some kind of, uh, you know, ritualistic act. It's an act of God to bring his people to the waters of baptism. Of course, God's people are present, whether that's Israel or a candidate for baptism, and they are the ones who— uh, in the early church, they used to face a certain direction, whether it was east to represent east of Eden or to represent facing Pharaoh's army. Mm -hmm. And they would confess things like, I'm no longer a part of the kingdom of darkness. I'm no longer, I no longer belong to Egypt. I now belong to the people of God and I have an inheritance across the Jordan. And they would usually recite the Apostles' Creed or some kind of confessional formula. And other people, were, especially in baptism, are present, is God's people getting ready to welcome in uh, new brothers and sisters into the into the communion and the family of the saints. And so that's a couple things, but also some themes that are present. Uh, it's not just that God's people die to their previous selves, uh, being right. slaves in Egypt, and uh, come to new life. That's true. There's a birth narrative in baptism and in the Red Sea. There's also this judgment narrative. Uh, mm -hmm. Not only is God present and the church present or Israel present in the Old Testament, God's and I believe God's enemies are present at baptism, trying to cling to uh, the people of God who are now about to make a confession to to enter into the kingdom of God. And so, uh, in the early church, they used to renounce Satan, sin, and death, saying, "I no longer belong to these things. I belong to Jesus and His church." So they would renounce uh, kind of the East of Eden ways or or Egypt, the Egyptian ways of the world, as they now would inherit uh, the ways of Jesus and become a part of the family of God. So we can keep going. There's there's lots of things there. But I mean, the, the themes of light and darkness, I think, come into play in baptism, similar mm -hmm. as they do in the, the Red Sea narrative. So there's there's a lot here. So just to summarize, uh, we definitely want to emphasize God's presence there. We want to emphasize a new people being born, uh, God's enemies being judged and destroyed, mm -hmm. and us now inheriting the kingdom of God the same way Israel, though they go into the wilderness here, will inherit the kingdom of God after their baptism in the Red Sea in the Jordan. Mm -hmm. That's right. Well, and the baptism of Jesus, uh, you know, is, yes. a, is a picture of this too. I mean, that's his, his that's his Jordan crossing, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And um, you know, the Spirit hovers uh, over him in that scene. And if you if you're familiar with the wording of the Red Sea crossing in Exodus, it talks about a, a strong east wind that blew all night. And that word wind is that word ruach that also is used for spirit. And so there's just a lot of overlap in the imagery between um, Israel's effective baptism in the Red Sea and the baptism of Christ as he is the true Israel in the New Testament. That's good. I, I think we, I think I'd be remiss if I didn't just point out that I, I think this story is also a consolation and an encouragement and a witness to the believer regarding not just God's power, Yahweh's power mm -hmm. over the natural order of the world and over evil tyrants and, and, and wickedness and unrighteousness, and namely the tyranny of the kingdom of Satan, of which Pharaoh stands as a symbol, uh, both like 
in his presence and in the uh, persona of the empire. I, I do think it is significant to tell believers that in this story, we also have a witness of what it means uh, to, to really trust for God to do the great work. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I don't mean like, oh man, I really want the parking spot when I show up to target. And so like, uh, God move, move, move that big truck. Like you move the red sea. Like we can be silly with how we invoke the power of God in uh, times of trial. But mm-hmm. I do think that oftentimes believers will find themselves going, what am I to do when facing this great impasse? And the consolation of the Christian is that God and God alone has the power to defeat the greatest enemies, mm-hmm. namely sin, death, mm-hmm. and Satan. And I do think that there are a lot of times when the believer exhausts themselves with willing themselves against the wall, a wall that they cannot break down by themselves when the invitation is to allow the Lord to fight on our behalf. Mm-hmm. I think it can be invoked for apathy and difference for not being faithful. And I do think that when we look at this story, our position is the position of Israel here. I often don't have the courage of Moses who can trust in the Lord in the face of these adverse circumstances. I'm like one of the Israelites who's crying out like, you brought us here to die, you know? Uh, We're all going to die. I am, yeah. In a very real sense, they are brought there to die, right? That's right. I mean, this is a picture of salvation. Uh, You know, we'll get to a picture of sanctification as we move on through the rest of the story of Israel. But right here, this is our justification. This is you are as good as dead and you need a miracle. Mm -hmm. You don't, you know, there's a, they have weapons with them at this point that they don't know how to use. That's right. (laughs) And they will, they'll use them in chapter 17. Uh, But right here, they are completely helpless because they are about to be, uh, they're about to to basically uh, go through a death and a resurrection. And on the next episode, we're going to explore the rejoicing and the praise that comes on the other side of that salvation and just all that God does for us. I'm really excited as we continue to make this journey. I know it can, I know that as we explore the story of Exodus, you might find yourself with more questions about, okay, I want to know more about what came before Exodus. I don't know Genesis that well. We've covered Genesis in many episodes before, uh, but you also might be thinking, I want to dive deeper into some of uh, what you guys are doing as far as Exodus goes. I want to recommend to you, uh, Andrew Wilson and Alistair Roberts have a book called Echoes of Exodus. uh, And it's a fantastic book. You should check it out. Um, It's a great book. uh, And uh, if you're interested in going to find it, you could go over to 10ofthose.com slash partners slash knowing faith. And they'll have it right over there. If you've been looking for books we've recommended in previous seasons, if you go to 10ofthose.com slash partners slash knowing faith, it's linked in the show notes. You can find books that we've recommended in the past and you should go check out um, Echoes of Exodus. It's a fantastic book making some of these connections and we hope that uh, you would find it profitable. Uh, On the next episode, we're going to be covering the Song of Moses, which is, uh, I think, a neglected part uh, of exploring Exodus, but songs of deliverance are a crucial part of the story of the Bible and function as a theme throughout. And so uh, we're going to dive into that. If you want to find Knowing Faith, you can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. you may have heard about great resources or products that we've mentioned earlier in the show or about our flagship sponsor for this season. If you want to find out more information, make sure to check out the show notes for a link to our sponsor's webpage. Or you can go over to the Train the Church website under the Knowing Faith podcast, find resources, discounts, products. There is a newsletter over at trainingthechurch.com. 
that you should sign up for because it's going to tell you all sorts of great stuff about when new seasons are coming out, new episodes, special behind the scenes stuff that you can find uh, when JT or Jen or I write something for a blog somewhere. It typically gets cycled into there. Uh, events that we're doing, books that are coming out. So go check out that newsletter over at trainingthechurch.com. Uh, we hope you uh, enjoyed the discussion today. Grace and peace. Did this episode spark an interest to learn more about Jesus, the Bible, or just theology in general? You can receive free theological training through Midwestern Seminaries for the Church Institute, where you can learn more about the Old and New Testament, Christian theology, preaching, leadership, and more, even at your own pace. Learn more and get started today at ftcinstitute.com. Again, that's ftcinstitute.com for free training on Old and New Testament, Christian theology, preaching, and leadership. Go and check out these incredible resources from our season sponsor.